I don't think there's ever been more opportunity in the history of the world than there is today. You've never been able to uh, start a business with less capital, with more leverage than any time in the history of the world. Hey, welcome back to All In with Rick Jordan. I'm your host, Rick Jordan. I'm here with Dane Chapin. 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 Man, I messed that up. That's okay, because I got your first name right. <laughs> you got the first name. I usually go by my first name. So. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, however, you've got a history in sports, right? So you were probably, hey, Ch- Chapin, get over here. Uh, yeah, very true. Yeah, <laughs> right on. The last time I was called that, your, man. Was, get, or get your ass over here. That was probably your, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it, right? Or swing, swing harder, Rick. Or it was more swing harder, Jordan. You know, that was. <laughs> oh my gosh, I played nine years of baseball, four years of soccer. You know, just uh, on traveling teams. I never went semi-pro or pro with that. But dude, you've had some experience, man. Even in the '96 uh, Olympics, right? Uh, I didn't. I had my own competition and trying to sell games, but I was there. And uh, in '96 in, in Atlanta, it was pretty crazy. Oh, that's but, fun. Yeah. I won an Olympic gold medal, uh, not from the Olympic organizing committee, from my uh, my partner, my sister. So she uh, was appreciative of my effort. Really cool. That's awesome. I love what they did there and even how they changed it because it's what, Millennial Park or something like that now in Atlanta? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's gorgeous there, man. I've even rode the Ferris wheel that's there. You know, it's just a beautiful, beautiful part. It's uh, not very not very easily compared to the rest of the city that exists outside of that because there's some pretty bad, bad parts right outside that small area there. It's a, it's a mixed bag. Like, uh, I guess all American cities, we got mixed stuff in these places. Yeah. I was in recently, uh, before the whole lockdown, I was there for a wedding at the end of February. It was kind of walking down. I hadn't been there since the Olympics. So it'd been wow. 20 years and, uh, Olympic trials for the marathon were in Atlanta that day. So it brought back a lot of memories for me, just going out, watching athletes, going to Millennial Park, just kind of reflecting on my, uh, bet, my, my man. Career. That's awesome. So tell me about Made Here brand, and we'll try to piece this together here because I'm sure we'll, we won't have too much difficulty. But how does that tie back to everything else? What is it? You know, I mean, I have the info in front of me, of course, but I want to hear it from you because there's only so much I can get off a sheet of paper. All right. Well, I appreciate you asking me about that. Uh, made here. So I, I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've done a lot of different stuff. Uh, I don't know. I had this idea four or five years ago. Actually, I'll tell you the true story. I had this idea five years ago to do, uh, I, I wasn't sure I was going to talk about this, but I had an idea to do a brand of condoms called Uncle Sam's uh, with a Z. So we lock up this name, Uncle Sam's. And we're going to flip the whole paradigm. Don't ask me where I came up with this crazy idea. Right. I, I don't know that piece. And so I started designing packaging. We come up with this Uncle Sam character who's kind of the sexy, cool, hip guy. I uh, spent a lot of time doing that and start trying to figure out how to launch a condom brand where we're going to flip the paradigm of, you know, if you're buying groceries and, hey, look, you know, I'm not long out of college or whatever. So it's yeah. not part of my, uh, when I'm going to the store. But anyway, you know you kind of hide them under the broccoli, right? Or whatever. So my whole idea was to flip the paradigm and we had all these crazy um, uh, slogans I came up with, like uh, your department of defense uh, to form a more perfect union. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering if this was like a tag off of, you know, government or patriotism or something like that, you know, where they, where they cut, I mean, my brain immediately goes to where they red, white, and blue colored, you know, <laughs> Not that far, and that's sort of part of the story. Yeah, there was Sam's the bed, Sam's when you rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so 
two things happen is, and my whole idea was to really have sort of a pathway to a licensed consumer products company where we would yeah. license these names out for glassware, beer, or spirits, or, you know, just kind of sure. all licensed. And so Discover on College Campuses, 85% of condoms are free, given away by the health department. So you yeah. don't want to compete with free. Uh, There's then, never any I, benefit to being the second lowest price in town. And how can you beat free? Yeah, how can you beat free? <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, these things. Uh, anyway, and then number two, which was even more key, uh, my daughter, who was 23 or four at the time, and all she and all her friends were egging me on it. That was the funniest damn thing here. You know, her old man trying to launch a condom brand she just <laughs> and she wasn't embarrassed about it she thought it was so funny and the character and all the you know all the stuff and so she said you know dad what do you want to do with this thing well i'm gonna i'm gonna make t-shirts and that's where we're really gonna make our money she said, now if you're successful in condoms i'm never gonna wear the t-shirt and light bulb went off and of course she would you know i mean you know you're yeah. not wearing, if you're you know young college student and you know get good grades you're not wearing a trojan t-shirt yeah right on and so I parked this thing for a, a year, just kind of frustrated after spending a lot of money on it. And, uh, you know, it's just funny how the thing is sitting right in front of my face and I don't even see that piece of it. Um, and so a year later, two and a half years ago, uh, good friends with Scott Eastwood, who happens to uh, spend most of his time in Texas, but he also spent some time in San Diego. Yeah, that's Clint's son, right? Yeah, Clint's son, yeah. who's an actor. He's, he's actually, his movie's been number one in the world for the last three weeks. I got to pull oh, nice. plug in for Scott. So he's got a movie out called The Outpost, which is, uh, it's all set in one location in a valley in Afghanistan about a small uh, battalion, 53 guys who had uh, just a horrific battle with the Taliban in 2008, 2009. And there was two Medal of Honor winners that came out of that one battle, which had never happened in war history. And uh, he played one of those guys, and he was the lead role. And it's, it's a great movie, The Outpost. So awesome. Hopefully, I get, I get some rub off back out of Scott because uh, I'm plugging him instead of him trying to plug me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Scott, I have a real estate investment uh, development company, and he was an investor in some of our deals. And he, he was he's close friends with my younger partner, and they're both about the same age. And Scott, whenever he'd come in and discuss the real estate deals, he always come see me, you know, just figuring I'm going to get the gray haired guy to give me all the reliable details and not, you know, just always hype these things. Yeah. And he became pretty friendly. And I had this idea to shift um, Uncle Sam's to Made Here. And I said, Scott, you know, why don't you partner with me on this thing? You'd be the face of the brand. And, uh, and he loved it. And, you know, the That's challenge awesome. was, and the uh, challenge with, you know, the, Hey, to his attorney and his agent's credit, they said, you know, Dane, Scott really loves this idea. We love it too. But, you know, Scott's getting paid a lot of money to go fly to Tahiti for three days and do a you know, water commercial or all over the or Europe to do yeah, yeah. or whatever it might be. You know, you need to pay him. I said, hey, look, I can't afford to pay him. I, 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 we can't even begin to talk about, you know, it doesn't make sense to, you know, as good as Scott's going to be for this thing. And it's a, a perfect fit. I don't want a spokesman either. I want a partner and yeah, it's got to be authentic. Yeah. And Scott said to his attorney, Hey man, I love this thing. We're doing it. And uh, he's an equity partner. We don't take salaries. And uh, it, it's truly all about celebrating the American worker. And together he and I have spent a ton of time in, you know, in factories, a place where we're making stuff. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, we started a show called In a Day, where Scott's the host. Think dirty jobs, but uh, we're doing, we're going into, like we spent a day in the water district in San Diego that day, and we're going to explain to people in 10-minute videos how water gets to you. You know, we all think, yeah. turn 
app. It's automatic. You can get your water. I mean, it is the most fascinating story you can imagine what it takes to get water to people. And it's American workers, skilled American workers from all walks of life doing that work. And so we're trying to tell those stories. Uh, so we have a YouTube channel called uh, It's Made Here Brand. Yeah. And we have two other crazy experiences where the videos are up. We spent 24 hours on the USS Nimitz on a training mission in the Pacific Ocean. So we flew on, you know, got uh, tail hooked on, catapulted off. And we've got a video out now called, you know, In a Day Nimitz. Uh, where we spent a day, and then we were tied, the public affairs guy, Scott's kind of ribbing him, who had spent the you know, 24 hours with us. Yeah. Said, hey, can I, uh, let me get on a jet. Can I fly off of the carrier to end the show with me flying off in a jet? The guy said, we just said, yeah, we can't do the Nimitz, but I got something else up my sleeve. He calls us a week later. He says, can you guys go to El Centro next Wednesday? And we said, what the hell is in El Centro? Now, El Centro is like 150 miles East of San Diego, in the middle of the desert, you know, yeah. you don't necessarily want to, you know, there's not a lot of things to do in El Centro other than spend the day with the Blue Angels, uh, oh, which wow. we did. And so Scott got a 40-minute ride in a, in a jet. And so we created a show around, you know, in a day with the Blue Angels and all the behind-the-scenes stuff and how it works. So anyway, we're in the middle of creating this show, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Man, that's amazing. And this all came from a condom idea, which is mind blowing to me. You know <laughs> yeah, I was trying to, and I, you know, you think that I could protect myself uh, from yeah. these crazy ideas. My wife always, she's, I come home with a new idea. She said, "Can you just finish working on the what you got going and not get sidetracked?" That's kind know. of a disease that we have, right? You said you're a serial entrepreneur. I count myself in the same boat, and it's always, you know, I always say, there's 27 new ideas every single day. You know, which yeah, ones are going to stick? Yeah, we oh, by we, lunch, right? And yeah, then, exactly. Right on. <laughs> then a couple more espressos I pound, and then there's another twenty-seven in the afternoon. Exactly, man. I better I better not do the espressos. I have a coffee in the morning, and that's it. Espressos, it'd, it'd be trouble. Yeah, <laughs> I love the taste, man. And I got my thirteen-year-old son hooked on it too last year because he he used to think, oh, coffee's kind of bitter and everything. But then I took him to a, a Starbucks. It's a thirty-five thousand f- square foot Starbucks roastery that's in Seattle. Yeah, they roast the beans right there. You can try things. So we tried a flight of French press coffee from different regions of the world, different three different regions, and he was hooked after that. Now we've got you know a Jura, you know, so it's like this three thousand dollar coffee machine at home, and we get fresh roasted beans locally from a roastery here in Chicago. And that dude, I mean, at, at thirteen, he pounds like four espressos a day because he's like me; he just <laughs> loves the taste. You know, it's, <laughs> it's awesome. Hey, if I ever see you in person, you can take me for an espresso flight. And, uh, you know, get me jacked up on some espresso. That's perfect. Yeah, for sure. There's a couple of these Starbucks roasteries around, you know, but I, I love going to, uh, I love the, like the third wave coffee shops that are the second waves that are the small places because they just, they really invest in good, good equipment. This is a squirrel, but you know, what, whatever, I'm going to chase it. Okay. We're going to chase it here. You go into a typical Starbucks and their machine that does all the things, right. Makes all the drinks is about $5,000. That's what they spend. You can actually get them used on eBay for around two grand. I've looked into this obviously, right? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all ears on this. Yeah. 
business here. <laughs> yep. But I've been to coffee shops, you know, like there's one in Vegas. It's amazing. It's off the strip. It's called Public Us. You know, here I am plugging them. I'm going to be there in two days. I intend on going there because their food's great. But they have, I think it's made by Morantz. This thing is a $70,000 espresso machine. You can manually control everything from the pressure to the amount of water to the drip speed. It's insane, man. So it really becomes like a craft. And they always have several different types of coffee you can get or different types of beans that you can use for the espresso. You can do a flight. They even make a macadamia nut latte. It's the first coffee that I could like chew when I drink it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I meet you in Vegas? I'll come join Sure, man. <laughs> Friday. Yep. I'll be there Friday all day. And then uh, I think I might hit there Saturday morning for breakfast or something at Public Us. But when you're there, head there. Because I love that, man. Just the artisanal quality of a lot of these different things rather than just the, I can't do just normal coffee in the mornings anymore. It's got to be fresh roasted beans, which we get made for us from a local roastery in Chicago. They're so cheap too, man. You find local roasteries, you support the local business. Says, I mean, that's that's like along the lines of what you're doing. That's made here, right? Yeah, it's you know, in the artisan aspect to it, it just it's yeah. kind of you know, we uh, like we work with this company called Nestor out of uh, North Carolina, and they're in um, Mount Airy, North Carolina, about two hours outside of Charlotte. And this place is actually where Andy Griffith, and probably a lot of your uh, listeners are not familiar with Andy Griffith, but Andy Griffith in the '60s and '70s was you know, huge, big time actor, and he yeah. had a show, Andy Griffith Show. And it was about a couple of these, uh, it was just a this country, uh, little tiny town. And that was the fictional town where this sock place is. And they've got, I don't know, 150 people that work there from all walks of life. And I got to tell you, you walk through there and, you know, if you're, if you got, if, you know, a lot's going on in the country right now. You know, there's a lot of, you know, yeah. people, a lot of perspectives on you know, police and you know, I'm not going to get political. But I'll tell you, whatever, if you've got any negativity toward America, you walk into a factory like that and you see the pride and the work ethic and these people from different walks of life. There was one woman there. I mean, she almost seemed like she was on her deathbed. And she would thank Scott and me for being there. And this woman had been dealing with pretty serious cancer the last three years. And the owners of this company said, hey, look, she's going to work here as long as she wants to. We don't yep. care what condition she's in. And she worked like three days a week, sometimes three hours, sometimes eight hours, just depending on how you feel. But I mean, this whole place rallied around her and it was, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it because I was so touched by it. And it was just, you know, the, the antithesis of corporate and uh, it was just this, you know, family run business that they were taking care of their extended family. It was just the coolest thing. So we've had a lot of experiences. Oh like man, that. that's amazing. I love those experiences that really touch you. You know, in a, you're right. There's a lot of opinions going on in the country right now about a lot of different things. And the last time I broke down in tears in front of camera was actually when I was interviewing, you know, like the, uh, now I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it too. I love those moments, man. That's, a, that's what we live for. Right. When I, I was interviewing a pastor out of Las Vegas, ironically, you know, at a church in Las Vegas, that's like a misnomer anyways. It's just a suction oxymoron of a church in Vegas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, what type of church, but anyway. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's Presbyterian, so I mean, it's a typical church, right? You know, but the, you know, there's, dude, there's all kinds of different religions, and you know, some people have yep. a different perspective or meaning for, uh, you know, anyway, for sure, where, man, where they worship. Yeah, right on. I was interviewing this dude, man, and he was talking about, and then this hit home a little bit after that too. And this, uh, the film Liberty Lockdown, it's going to be released in about a month, and it's about government overreach. You know, it's just to try to put the question of why 
in everyone's head. It's not to make a political statement. It's just to say, why was all this done? And was it even legal for them to do this? Uh, That's really the full question, you know, not whether it was necessary or not from a medical perspective, whatever it is, it's just where does the legality of these things lie from our constitutional freedoms and liberties? It's and it's just to ask questions. That's it. I keep saying, you remember Jesse Ventura, you know, you mentioned Andy Griffith. I don't even know if any of my, (laughs) if any of my listeners know who Jesse Ventura is. I only know him because I I used to watch wrestling with my dad when I was really young, like, like five and six years old. Right. But I remember him on an interview be like, Hey, I'm just the guy asking the questions. You know, I don't even remember where that was, but it might have been when he was mayor, you know, or, or governor of Minnesota. Sorry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 It goes from a wrestler to, you know, it's crazy. I know. Well, look at Ronald Reagan, right? Actor to governor to president. You know, it's it's insane. Who knows? Maybe podcast host to governor to president. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I like you so far. Maybe a write-in this year. There we, yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, when I was interviewing this pastor, man, I uh, I was asking him, you know, have you seen anybody in your church, in your congregation get 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 hit by this thing? I said, yeah, we've had two deaths in our congregation. He said, that wasn't even the tragic part. He goes, of course, we don't want anybody to die, but that wasn't even the tragic part. He goes, here's what took place. This woman who had been attending our church for about 10 years, went into the hospital, into the ICU with nobody around her. Her husband couldn't get in. Her kids couldn't get in to see her. I couldn't even get in as her pastor to visit her and comfort her during her last days. And that's the moment, man. Like I said, it's goosebumps again, brother, because that's the moment to where I just broke down. I mean, I even looked, I don't know if this is going to end up in the film this way, but I even looked at the the crew. I'm like, guys, you got to, I don't know if you want to stop or keep rolling, but I need a minute because hearing that. And then my, uh, my mother is a, is a caregiver for her husband, not my father, because my father passed when I was 16, but her husband had a debilitating stroke about five years ago. And just within the past couple of weeks, he had too many strokes and, you know, forgetting where he was, you know, even literally forgetting how to walk again, even though he's, he has like a, a debilitating walk already. And they had him go to the ambulance or go by ambulance to the hospital and she was not allowed to go in with him. You know, so she's there. And my mom, I mean, she's been through so much with having one husband pass away, obviously, yeah. when they were young. And now this too, you know, another husband having a debilitating stroke and having to be a full-time caregiver. And then her just, I mean, I, I, I spoke to her and she was just in such distress, man, because she was sitting in the parking lot for hours not even being able to go in. And she still wasn't even able to go in and see him and visit him during that time. He's home now, which is great because the mini stroke thing, it just is something that keeps happening, I guess, and will continue to keep happening just because of what he went through. Uh, But, but trying to convince her, it's like, mom, if you can't do anything, go home at least, you know, don't sit in the parking lot. I'm like, well, she's like, well, that's what they told me to do. Like they told you, you can't come in and to just go sit in the parking lot while your husband could be dying from this you yeah. know, sitting in the emergency. That's the part, man, that just blows my mind out of everything that's going on. It's not a political statement. It's a, not at all. Hu- it's a human statement. I know. Right? I know. Hey, so, I'm, at the, I'm at the age where, you know, a lot of my peers uh, were losing our parents. Yeah. I lost my mom yeah. last summer and uh, I've had two people lost their parents in the last four months. So there's no memorials, no funerals. It's just, uh, it's like poof and they're gone. And you yeah, know, man, it's, uh, it's tragic, but the goosebumps. 
I'm hoping a lot of this is gonna is gonna end up coming to uh, you know whether you whether you like them or not. I don't care. You know, I didn't even intend our conversation to turn political. Uh, I don't know if you just saw the other day, but this was really cool to me because to me, you know, I, I run a couple of businesses. You do also, and this was just a you know you're a serial entrepreneur, and I looked at this decision of our president, Donald Trump, is just a straight up get it done business decision because the American public wants a vaccine, right? And this was yeah. just this week. Pretty simple. Uh, right on. So there's three candidates and this week he announced, we have now funded advanced manufacturing and production on all three candidates that are in late stage trials. We don't even know which one is going to be the winner that's going to get done first or be successful in their trials, but we're already manufacturing three that are in their final stage of trials right now. That way, no matter which one wins, we're already ready to go as soon as we get the thumbs up you know, right. from the manufacturer that it's okay. So they're already producing these, even though they haven't completely gone through the process. So no matter what, I mean, if you look at that from a business perspective, right, you've got, you're going to have like a, a warehouse. This is what I envision because I'm a visual person. You have a warehouse and you have a hundred million vaccines in, of, of three different types of vaccines just on the shelves. You might have to throw two thirds of those away. You might have to trash. Yeah. Them. But then going back to the human concept that we're talking about, what does it matter? Because we are ready to go immediately as we know which one of those or even which two or maybe all three of them work. So at the minimum, we're going to have 100 million vaccines ready to go. This is just a straight up business decision. To me, as a business guy, I'm all about math and probability. Right on. You got it. So, okay. So if I'm president, and I got another comment in a second with regard to, you know, this crazy environment we're in, but you know, our, we, we got a you know twenty trillion dollar economy that's getting you know hammered by call it twenty percent. I'm going to do the math off the top of my head. So yeah. you know, right now our economy is you know uh, off three or four trillion dollars a year. So we're looking at three hundred billion dollars a month of lost productivity uh, because of the COVID. And the world, I mean, regardless of it, just is not going to get back to normal until there's a vaccine. Yep. And I think when we have vaccine, it gets back to normal pretty quickly. So if we throw away $10 billion, $20 billion trying to accelerate a month, it's a, it's a small price to pay. So if you do the math around it and let that instruct you in the probabilities, so if we can, hand, if we can move up this uh, uh, vaccine date by 30 days, we're going to save the economy or add $300 billion to the economy, uh, you'd, you'd spend $100 billion. Uh, exactly. So right it doesn't, you just got to do the math. I remember reading, a, there was a, a Goldman Sachs guy talking about uh, uh, Richard Rubin, former uh, treasury secretary for Clinton, and talking about bets they would make. You know, they would make $100 million bets on different things. He said, hey, look, if, if I have a uh, 20%, 30% probability, 50% probability of being wrong on this bet, uh, but I'm going to get, you know, X return, I'm going to lose a hundred million every once in a while, but yeah. at the end of the day, if I make enough of them, I'm going to be ahead 12%. I mean, it's just, you know, so you've got to be committed to the, the probabilities and percentages. You so. got it, man. That's awesome. And it's really cool. Cause I, I think all three of these candidates are U S made too, which is a lot of fun. Which is uh, great. But, yeah, you know, the, other, the other thought I have, which is get, it's gets in the way of so many things right now. And you know, whether you're, if, if you're on one, let's see, if Trump says the sky is blue, yeah. You know, uh, Pelosi's just going to take issue with it and vice versa. Yeah. If, you know, if uh, Pelosi <laughs> says the, you know, the, the ocean is big, no, it's not, you know, yeah. it's, 
they can't it's just so politicized everything I know. it's yeah. frustrating I love the clear cutness of those decisions, you know, and that, that was one thing I was actually at the white house last week, man. And that was one of the things that really impressed me. And then of course there was the news this week too, the, about the vaccines and how they're investing in the three possible candidates. But last week, it, they, everybody was functioning as if they were going to be there for another four years, everybody in the administration, you know, and just plugging forward with, you know, this had nothing to do with politicizing stuff at all. It's just like, we have a job to get done and we're going to do what we feel is best for the country. It doesn't matter. The election almost didn't even matter. That's what they were looking at because we're just going to keep dredging forward. There's no lame duck, anything, no, no, nothing going on to where we're going to hold things up. They just kept dredging forward, man. And what they knew they needed to do to help the American people. That was what impressed me, you know, and this was department of defense stuff because of my cybersecurity firm that was the biggest impression that they left you know because they were i mean these are veterans that are in some of these high level positions with dod and just legitimately want they could be replaced you know if trump loses the election in the next couple of months they could yeah. absolutely just go away but they don't care because they're going to accomplish everything they possibly can right now because they just love the country that was just beautiful for me to see man you know that's not political that's just a patriot period and just doing, doing, doing your job right Yep. You got it, man. I didn't intend to go this way today, but it's fun because I love your made here brand, man. I love that. <laughs> we started on condoms and then we got to, yes, I love it because Dane's a patriot. This is awesome. Yeah. And patriotism doesn't come in uh, to me. It comes in red, white, and blue and yep. not red or blue. You got it, man. Right on. So that's, that's awesome. Where I was made here. I, you know, I don't care if you live in uh, LA, San Francisco, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, whatever I, we're just trying to support the whole thing with you know goods made in this country and yeah you know, we started off as an apparel brand yeah hats, yeah hats socks t-shirts and boxers which is kind of counterintuitive because 98 percent of apparel is made outside the u.s wow uh, and the fact of the matter is a huge percentage of apparel will be permanently made outside the u.s and you know we were at full on full employment not full on employment we were essentially at full employment you know pre-covid yeah. And to think, you know, whatever issues we have with the Chinese, and there's plenty of valid issues, you know, you're not going to shift all that production to you know, Vietnam, uh, uh, Mexico, or Texas anytime soon. You know, yeah. maybe never. Um, you just do the math around that. So uh, Vietnam, for instance, makes 1% of the goods that China makes. So everybody talks about, hey, let's move our production to Vietnam. I mean, you know, they don't even have the infrastructure to support, you know, and For the sure. suppliers, the complexity of the supply chain. There's a famous um, essay called I Pencil. I would encourage all your listeners to, to look it up. It's a 1958. Okay. It was written in 1958 by a guy named Leonard Reed, who was a professor or something. And he, he told the story from the perspective of a number two pencil, which you think is the simplest thing in the world to make, right? You yeah. got six. There's six items. There's paint, there's wood, there's an eraser, there's the little metal band, there's the uh, graphite, you know, or the, the lead. Yeah, yeah. I think there's one other thing. But when you strip away what it takes to make a pencil, so you start saying, well, we've got to, uh, we've got to, we've got to, for, we've got to get the wood and we've got to process the wood and you've got to make paint. And so you work your way down the supply chain of what it takes to make paint it's a global operation to make a number two pencil. So it's real simple yeah, to say, let's yeah. move all the production home. But you know, you need uh, you know you need rubber from Indonesia, and we, yep. we don't we don't make we don't have the the latex trees or whatever the you know the trees to do the rubber. Or you think about um, tires. 
We're yeah. not going to all of a sudden, you know, have all the raw materials to make tires tomorrow. The world's never been more globally in, uh, interdependent. Right on. And, you know, it's nice to say, wave the flag. We're moving all production home. You do the math around it and you really go deep with it. It's, it's impossible. And it doesn't yeah. make sense either. So it's, yeah. I got in big trouble. Um, there was a, <laughs> I was at the. Don't we always? <laughs> yeah. I was, at the Idea, I was at the Ideas Fest in Aspen a few years ago. And a really interesting thing. Uh, and I forget, you know, a lot of it was talking about, hey, let's move all our production home. And so this radio host, I forget the guy's name, he's lambasting China and he's just going yeah. after it about everything made outside the United States. I said, hold on a second. I said, I own a, a game company. I have a company called USA Opley. I don't know if that's in your research, but we have a license yeah. with Hasbro. We take uh, all their classic games and put twists on them, including Monopoly. So if you've seen Game of Thrones, I like being able to pitch this stuff and it sounds I'm getting to pitch it, but it's, you know, for your show. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> oh, keep going, man. You got me interested. Yeah. So, you know, we do all kinds of twists on Monopoly from Game of Thrones to Beatles to Simpsons, and we do chess sets that are themed. So we have license agreements with all, you know, all the film studios and everything else. And I said, well, we've got this um, chess set we make. Um, it's, um, God, why am I drawing a blank? Well, the call it Game of Thrones chess set. Sure. It, it, it's super intricate, and it takes an enormous amount of labor to make it. And I said, I, we have designers at U.S. Happily that were paying $100,000 or more a year to do all the work around creating this thing. They're up on the food chain. And I said, you know, we're sourcing this thing out of China. We're able to sell this chess set for, at retail for 75 bucks. And I said, if we wanted to manufacture that here, there's not the talent pool. And it would run 150 bucks, you know, a set. And nobody would buy it. So now I'm, you're asking me to make a game, you know, source it domestically and create something where there'd be no market at that price. Yeah. I said, would you rather have me pay, you know, educate, train and educate, you know, uh, somebody that's maybe got a high school uh, degree who's enormously talented with art and the computers and everything else. And we're going to, we train that person up and now they're making a six figure income and I'm able to outsource it to China. Everybody wins. The consumer wins with the chess yeah. set. They love yeah. playing that they, they can afford. So there's, yeah, we're really interdependent. We just got to pick and choose strategically. You know, where are you, when you make stuff here and when you don't. And, right so. on. I've always said that, I, you know, I, I fully believe in a global economy because that's the way it's be become, which is awesome, man. And, you know, this dude you're talking about on the radio with anti-China, everything, you know, we're talking about, I think there has to be a separation and this is more education for the American people because there's over 1 billion people in China Right? And there's only a whopping 73 million or so that are part of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, which they're the bad guys, right? And the party's only even run by maybe about 60 people. So when, yeah. when we're really talking, at least from like a presidential perspective, when we're really talking about anti-China, we're really talking about anti-CCP the Chinese Communist Party, because the Chinese people as a whole, man, the other, you know, 930 million of them, they're really, really good people. You yeah. know, and they, they have families like everybody else, but then there's just the Chinese Communist Party who are the real bad guys that hold control using force and fear 
over the remainder, that other 90% of the population. That other 90% of the population, man, could manufacture the iPhones for us. They can manufacture a lot of things, you know, that we just don't have. Because imagine you were talking about a freaking pencil, right? That has like five components that are sourced from five different countries across the, the entire world. Imagine how much goes into an iPhone. You know, and yeah. China almost has like a, it's not quite a monopoly, but it's 95% of like the precious metals are in their soil, in their ground over there, like cobalt. You know, there's yeah. got to be alternatives that exist. And this is just an education piece for anybody that's listening to, is that China as a country, as a country is not bad. The Chinese government's bad. China yeah. as a country, the people, not bad. You know, there's, yeah. there's a separation in education, I feel, that needs to happen there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And we got to be real sober about the realities of dealing with them, uh, the strategic uh, Exactly, issues. yeah. Yep. I, I, what, I was on an entrepreneur show. We're on a, a I know, right? <laughs> it's a, it's a, my hobby is writing political commentary. So this is like really? my sweet spot. Yeah, <laughs> That's hilarious, man. Look at how we just gravitated that way, unintentionally, too. We got started, man, by the condoms. That's what kicked off the whole conversation. <laughs> I know. Oh my goodness. That's awesome though. But look how, how such a, a very basic and, uh, you know, dare I say crazy idea, you know, just sparked a bunch of things for you and even a fun conversation today. I love that. Uh, yeah. So who knows it, it, it? It's like my buddies, you know, we play a lot of golf and uh, everybody says, I just wish I could play like that every day. You know, I yeah. wish I could shoot whatever X every day. Everybody, yeah. nobody's ever happy where they're at. Everybody wants to shoot one stroke better, two strokes better. I said, if you, if you shot that, if you shot 72 every day, you, what, why would you play? Yeah. It just, you know, it's like life. I mean, it's a, you know, we started this show. I mean, we kind of had a general idea, but it's a mystery. If you knew exactly how the, the story goes, you don't read the book. You wouldn't live life. That's the exciting part. You know, what, right on. who knows what happens at the, you know, by the end of the day, <laughs> who knows? I might be in the, you know, some other business. God, my wife would kill me. Yeah, for sure. Don't tell her I said that. <laughs> No, you're good. <laughs> right on. I, I was actually kind of, I was pleasantly surprised about what we ended up talking about. Because I mean, what made here is, is actually not even on my my info from you, which is awesome. I do have USAopoly, which is pretty cool. You know, that's on here. Uh, dude, I love Monopoly growing up. Nowadays, I don't have the time for it, you know, because it takes three and four hours yeah. to play. But, you know, I, I love the strategy of that thing. And I always would go for boardwalk and park place and try to get that exactly. monopoly on the blues over there. If it wasn't those, it was, I can't remember what the reds were, you know, but it was like St. Charles Place or something like that. I can't remember what it yeah, was. Yeah, the purples. Well, it's, I'll tell you, monopoly has been good to me. I loved it as a kid. Yeah. And, uh, it's actually kind of a cool, it's a cool story. My sister started this business uh, in the early 90s. And we had the opportunity and, uh, to go to Hasbro, and they gave us a two-year license in 1994. And they were, they were thinking more of it about a legal perspective. There's a lot of knockoff monopoly games in the market where instead of go, yeah. you start and jail would change to Sing Sing. Or, uh, and Hasbro was getting increasingly concerned about all the proliferation in the marketplace around this stuff. And the trademarks were, you know, this thing was trademarked in 1935. Um, so we, t one way or another, it's we talked them into letting wow. us. Yeah, it was. It was uh, it's that crazy. old. Yeah, it's uh, and it's you know speaking of it's a it's an incredibly educational game for a, yeah. you know, eight or nine, ten year old kid. You're learning how to play all the components that come into play without even thinking yeah. about. It. But um, you know our story is so we get Hasbro. We talk them into a license, a two year license in 1994 to let us do five city editions of Monopoly, and where we would merge a particular city. We did. Uh, 
Atlanta, uh, San Diego, San Francisco, Boston, New York. And, you know, you, you go into a particular city, you know, a place like uh, New York, uh, Empire State Building, Central Park. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty cool business model. We'd actually sell spaces on the game to the big hotels and restaurants. Oh, fun. We'd have, we'd have a traded deals with the media, you know, so we'd have a TV station, radio station, a newspaper. So all of a sudden, we're getting a half-page ad for trade for putting New York Times on the Monopoly game. Nice. So it was a really symbiotic relationship. Um and then, uh, so business started to grow. I had been in real estate, which had gone in the toilet in the early 90s. So my sisters were nice enough to let me join them in the business. <laughs> and it was just my two sisters, me, and a secretary in the very beginning in 1994, this tiny little office, uh, Schleppen Monopoly. And um, our breakout, our inflection point was in, uh, so the Olympics were coming to Atlanta, which we talked a little bit about. Yeah. So, uh, coming to Atlanta summer of 96. So in summer of 95, we start you know, pitching Hasbro on the idea, let us do an Olympic edition of Monopoly for Atlanta. And we go back and forth, back and forth, three months before the Olympics, they give us the green light. And it takes like six or eight months to develop a game. So we're working around the clock to get this game to market. And it gets on the radar of the Hasbro CEO, Fortune 500 company. Here we are, nice. this tiny four-person company. And we start overnighting the design iterations to him. So this, keep in mind, this is 1996. We would drive down to the San Diego airport, load the stuff on cargo of a United flight that was uh, nonstop to Boston. It was a lot more complicated. You, you couldn't send digital files then. Sure. <laughs> uh, and so we were getting approvals, these design approvals. So we got on his radar. All right, so fast forward. To, we managed to get the game design. We pulled the trigger on 35,000 games. I, I literally bet the company on this thing. It was just wow. – going to go to the moon and if anybody was alive in 96 knows how red hot white hot the olympics were i mean it was yeah, just like yeah. and um so we ordered thirty-five thousand games i don't know how the hell we're going to sell thirty-five thousand games you'll find out in a second we're up to like game orders for like only five thousand games two weeks in front of the olympics so it's it starting to get alarming yeah uh, yep. olympic committee promised us a huge order i get on the phone with the buyer two weeks before the olympics waiting for this you know ten thousand piece order sure he yeah. says uh we're gonna send you a po today for 90 games 90 I, I lean in on the phone thinking i heard wrong I, i'm sorry I, I misunderstood you uh yeah we're gonna order 90 games nine zero I mean, dude, I, you know, my mother taught me, you know, some good things in life and I, I utilized the lesson. So I didn't drop any F-bombs or go nuts, hang up the phone. And I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I yeah. fly to Atlanta a week before the Olympics to do a bunch of press stuff. And, uh, and then I decide I'm down there. I said to my sister, I call up, I said, let's ship all the games to Atlanta. Let's at least get them in a warehouse. If this thing takes off at the local retailers, people we have, at least we can replenish in a week or in a day you know, the riches and everybody else. Yeah. So maybe we're up to 6,000 units sold two days before the Olympics. They were about to light the flame, Muhammad Ali, the whole thing. And I don't know what, I'm still scared to death. This you know, young entrepreneur, you know, underfunded. Yep, yep. I got a game under my arm walking through Olympic uh, Park, which we talked about. And somebody stops me and says, what do you got on your arm? I said, oh, it's an Olympic Monopoly game. So well, where can I get that? I said, uh, you can go to Riches, uh, you know, the shoulder around town. I said, tell you, here, just take my game. He said, take your game. I said, he said, dude, you, and I explained to him who I was. And he said, well, let me at least let you pay for it. I said, you know, just pay me wholesale. Give me 20 bucks. He rips out a 20, you know, a $20 bill. It's like, you know, boom. Yep. Light bulb goes off. 
So I go, uh, I do some press stuff. I go rent a van and I, I buy a dolly. I spent the next two weeks. I can, I can pull this up on screen. I spent the next two weeks. Hold on. Let me, <laughs> let me digress for a second because this is going to make the story better. This is fantastic, man. I mean, it's, uh, I love hearing this while you're, while you're looking for that. Oh. One of the biggest things that the Monopoly game taught me is that we were talking about the different properties that we like to buy up. You know, I can't remember what they were, but they could, maybe they were the purple ones, but they were the two properties directly after Pass and Go. And what oh, I yeah. learned... Oh, yeah, the three reds, right? Oh, no, Pass and Go. Yeah, the two little uh, purples. The Ball two little purples. Have... You got it. I love Those are my favorites on that I entire game. Like everybody, you don't get a lot of money, but people land on. Here you go. So that... So that was oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so for the next two weeks, I made this little uh, sandwich board with the games. I sold uh, 20,000 games on the streets of uh, wow. And I hired a couple. I saw this guy selling like water bottles. And I said, do you, do you want to sell Monopoly games or you want to sell water bottles? I said, dude, puts the water bottles down. He said, I'm with you. And uh, <laughs> so I had an assistant. And we, I mean, it was like selling popcorn. So I would be going back to my car, you know, every hour to replenish. And, That's uh, awesome, man. And then from that, got a call from the uh, Hasbro CEO who didn't know how we sold the games on the street, but knew that we got this game to market. And we, uh, my sister and I flew back to Pawtucket, which is uh, in Rhode Island, you know, an hour south of Boston. And he said, what do you guys want? We love you guys. It was, they gave us a five-year license and they opened it up to things like Harley Davidson, Monopoly, NASCAR, NFL. Oh, and here we are 24 years later, it's 68 people at the company. And, uh, I have a guy who runs the day-to-day -day and we've got, uh, you know, we sell millions of games and crazy story. <laughs> That's an amazing story, man. That's an amazing story. It, it, coming back to the, those properties, I mean, the lesson I learned, which is what you're talking about, was really follow the money. Because you, know, you had that, that dude was just right on the street right there. And he's like, well, let me at least pay you for it, right? So you took 20 bucks and it's like, well, if this is where the money's at, this is where I'm going to go. That's why I love those two properties right after you pass go because I felt like as soon as anybody would collect their 200 bucks from passing go, I'd be able to take it from them right away when they landed on my hotels on those two properties. So it was like immediately like cutting their cash flow yeah, underneath them from my competitors. You know? I, yeah, there's, there's a, it, it never ceases to astonish me the number of ways to make money in this world. I mean, yeah. you, know, and, you know, in our economy where you're free to find nooks and crannies you know, supply this, supply that. I mean, it's just, so uh, there's a kid who grew up near me. He's 30 now. I was close friends with his parents and he used to park cars. We have a party at our house. He'd yeah. and, stuff. and he'd always say to me at like 17, Dane, I want to be you when I grow up. I said, what are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean? He says, I just want to be an entrepreneur. I want to, I want to do business. So he went to USC undergraduate with an emphasis on business and for the last, you know, so he'd send me ideas and nothing ever stuck until three years ago. He sends me this very crude mock-up for a water bottle. I said, I call him up. I said, Houston, the, the, the world doesn't need another, they don't need another water bottle yeah. company more yeah. than they need another uh, bottled water company. And he said, well, then take a look at this thing. It's special. So, and it's a super crude mock-up. Well, it's, it looks like a, you know, a hydro flask. Yep. Uh, but on the bottom, it had storage. So you could have 24 ounces of you know, water, fluid, whatever. And on the bottom, you twist off the bottom. I should get one. Victoriana, Lane, can you bring me a Bindle bottle? How's that? We're real tight. I love that, right on. <laughs> um, I feel like I need to scream for Dan. Dan, can you bring <laughs> me an espresso? 
<laughs> and you have him bring me an espresso. So, so this, uh, so Houston is in the middle of getting a patent for this thing, and so we have, a, and which was really key to have you know intellectual protection. Perfect. Thank you. Appreciate it. So this, uh, you know, just it looks like you know any other water bottle, right? So it's got and uh, yeah, yeah. But however, you know, let's say you're going to your, uh, you know, uh, yoga class, whatever, and you don't want to stuff your pockets, you don't want to bring your gym bag. So the bottom has got, we got storage down there. So you can put your headphones, your keys. Oh, that's awesome. Bindle bottle, which has a, there's a fun story around the name of this thing too. And uh, so you just put your stuff, you know, or your stash or whatever. Yeah. And it's all in, in one place and you carry it around. So uh, we launched this thing uh, two and a half years ago. We got uh, we were on Oprah's favorite things list for uh, Christmas in 2018. That's so cool. That's awesome, man. So anyway, it's we've got yeah. all kinds of crazy things going. But there's a fun uh, story around the name. Do you know what a bindle is? I don't know what bindle is. Bindles, there's a slang to bindle, which I didn't even know about. But we're sitting around. And we had a Kickstarter launch in you know, summer of 2018, and we wanted to stick to it. Um, and we were literally down to 11th hour of a name. We had, you know, we had a big whiteboard up. We had hundreds of names, and we couldn't get consensus. There was three of us that were kind of part of this thing. Couldn't get consensus on a name and said, hell or high water, we're not leaving this room today until we have a, uh, a name for this stinking thing. Yeah. And, okay, Stash Bottle. Oh, that's a great name. You know, so you look it up, and it was taken. And so I'm, like, doodling H2O, you know, Bo, just trying to come up with something clever that's, you know, yeah. Just rolls off the tongue. And I said, yeah, how about hobo bottle? And these guys look at me, hobo. That's the stupidest name I've ever heard. <laughs> so I'd kind of, you know, slink away. And I'm thinking, I'm still scratching. I'm saying, well, what's the thing called that, that a hobo carries on a stick with all his stuff? Oh, dang. It's called a bindle. Huh. So we pulled it up on the phone. You know, we looked at a hobo. Bindle. The second it rolled up, and we just all looked at each other. Bindle bottle, and uh, that's how that thing was named. Oh my gosh, that's amazing, man! I, uh, before we we're done on our time here, because it's just coming up in a couple minutes. There's so much that you have going on. What can what can people like take away from you today? Like, what are you promoting right now? Or what's the biggest passion on your heart currently, like in this moment? Uh, I just think you know. I tell you know, young entrepreneurs, kids, whoever. I don't care who they are. I don't think there's ever been more, you know, in COVID, you know, it's, it's got its own set of problems, yeah. but, you know, this is a temporary thing. You know, it's, I don't think there's ever been more opportunity in the history of the world than there is today. Yeah. You know, there, you can source anything and it's a commodity. You can source logistics, which is, you know, you don't have to build a warehouse anymore. You don't have to have warehouse people. You can, you know, tap into Amazon or 3PLs. You have an idea. You've never been able to uh, start a business with less capital, with more leverage than any time in the history of the world. And so if you've got an idea, you know, you can be a kid with a camera and you yeah, know, come up yeah. with a clever YouTube idea. And, you know, you just, you know, the key is to be relentless. And, you know, that oil, you might drill a hole 10,000 feet and the oil's at uh, 10,050 feet. you got to keep going. You also have to know when to stop. But, uh, yeah, I think the other key for me is to, you know, be, have, be open-minded to hearing things that you don't want to hear yeah. and to process it, you know. And I'm, I'm maybe guilty of not always doing that because I'm pretty relentless and pretty determined. And 
sometimes to a fault and sometimes you know you, you make things happen because you are so it's just maybe i tell everybody i'm right half the time i just never know what half what half? <laughs> <laughs> for sure <laughs> but i'm right awesome. half the time oh man that's awesome and dane i really appreciate you for real, I feel like we've connected in a way today, man. We just have a very similar hearts, and it's awesome hearing your stories of success and your stories of failure too, man. It's uh, that's what I love. I love I love hearing those, so we can try to build on those. And I just appreciate you. That's a, that's a I'm very grateful for our conversation today. Awesome. Are you all about on social media? You know, where can everyone find you to follow you? Uh, well, we got BindleBottle.com. Uh, we've got. Uh, I, I got challenged by our intern the other day. You know, we're creating a lot of content of all yeah. sorts of facets for our bin, for the Bindle bottle. And she said, yeah, people are having fun, making fun of boomers. Sadly, I'm a, well, sadly, whatever. Here. <laughs> sadly. Uh, <laughs> I've got a and, hat on today because I'm getting a haircut. You know, I still got a good head of hair, I think. But <laughs> at 40. My wife gives me my haircuts. But anyway, uh, she yeah. challenged me. Dan, you got to come up with something around boomers. So I have a... Uh, YouTube channel called Bindle Boomer that features me uh, during lockdown uh, making magic with the Bindle bottle. So I'd rub it and good things would happen. That's uh, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and so check it out. It's, uh, if you search on YouTube, Bindle Boomer, B-I-N-D-L-E, uh, you can see some of my nonsense. And uh, I don't know, there's all kinds of nonsense. That's so fun. Awesome, my man. So everybody go to Bindle Boomer on YouTube and check out that channel. Subscribe. I'm going to be doing the same today. I, I got to see the Dude, magic bottle, man. Yeah. And then uh, you know, the other thing, the Made Here brand on uh, yeah. uh, um, YouTube as well. And you'll find our videos, which are pretty cool. So anyway, we're just, I'm having fun every day. Come in with lots of energy and crazy ideas. Who knows where it's going to end today. I'll call you later today and let you know what happened. Sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Thanks, my man. Hey, great talking to you. Yeah, thanks. same here. Hey, thanks for going all in with me today. Subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes when they come out. Rate and review the show if you're listening on iTunes. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. As always, you can find links and references to anything we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. And finally, share this episode with someone who you think might be able to level up their life by listening. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message. Through this process too, man, I learned so much. Just talking with different guests and just hearing stories of life. And that's what I feel like we need to share to the world.